0: I'm going to try and keep this as straight to the point and as simple as I can. There's a lot in this and I want to try and, and, I don't want it to be clouding anyone's mind or making them any confused. I'll try and keep it as simple as possible. Revelation chapter 3, beginning to read at verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith thee, Amen. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and of need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and Anoint thine eyes with thyself, eye that thou mayest see. And many, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him. And will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne even as I also overcame and am sat down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. That's a second mention already to this congregation tonight. Brother Jackie prayed that. So let's prick up our ears to the word of God. Let's pray. Father, now we ask you that you would settle us That you would speak to us and may your spirit move among us, upon us, within us. We ask you, God, that you would hide me behind your son. That only he alone would be seen and made known as the king of glory, as our redeemer, as our sin bearer, and the one who is soon to come. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and this great salvation. For the precious blood that he shed for us that we might be saved and forgiven and washed. And, O God, we thank you, Lord, that his blood shall never lose its power. So, Father, tonight we pray, apply the blood of the Lamb to hearts and then to lives. And, Lord, may your glory be made known to men and women, not only here, in CET, but those who will watch live and who will further watch the services. Lord, may you be exalted. Lord Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. Jesus' call to the end time, church. Jesus' call to the end time, church. Now, we're going to look at quite a bit of scripture this evening. And from Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 right through 22 that we've read, Jesus mentions a church here and it's called the Laodicean Church. The Laodicean Church was the last or the end of seven literal churches that were around Asia Minor or Turkey and that region today. The Laodicean church, as well as the other six churches, all of them, in particular, uh, they were literal churches. That's very important to note that they were literal churches. They had church assemblies, and from Revelation chapter two into Revelation chapter three to the end, where we have read, you'll read of seven literal churches. Now, Jesus, his ascent, has died, is in the tomb has risen from the dead, has ascended into glory. He is now seated at the right hand of the Father. He sent forth his Holy Spirit. And so we are now around AD 96. Around AD 96 when this was written to the church at Laodicea. And those literal churches, seven of them, there were many other churches, but these seven that the Lord himself, the risen Lord Jesus Christ speaks to John the Apostle and he speaks to him in the prison island called Patmos. He is there because he is uh, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 1 tells us that. And because he's a Christian in these days, remember people didn't know within the last 50 years, 60, 70 years what a Christian was. There weren't any. And so now, this new sect, this new cult, this followers off the way, because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. These followers off the way are now being persecuted, mainly at this point by Jews and Romans. And here we find in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, the Lord writes to seven churches that were formed, and this is around AD 96. Something else to remember we're going to show you these churches briefly. They're literal churches, just like we're a church assembly today. Literal assemblies in Asia Minor or Turkey. And they were very close to Ephesus. Was en route toward towards Laodicea. And then, if you had a, if you can picture in your mind, Turkey way over near the Grecian end, way over near the the southeast coast end, you had Ephesus um, away over that direction. And then on the Turkish coast, or just inward, you had the seven churches that went up. And came down in a loop again. And that was a preaching circuit of these churches. So the Lord Jesus Christ writes a letter to each church. Now you can find what Jesus uh, says to them in basically the church today. Different people, how they live their lives. Different assemblies, how they need to do things and clean up their lives. But also these seven churches we're going to look at I'm going to show you. Also represented seven church ages, or in other words, seven places in the church from it formed at the day of Pentecost right through until this very moment where you are today, until the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to look at how it was written here and it prophetically spoke of this last Laodicean church. It was the last in the line of the seven, but it's also the last in line of time in the church. There's no other church in the book of Revelation that is in this order, this seven-church order. Laodicea is the last church age, and that is the age that you and I are living in this very evening. Four things we want to look at. Jesus called to the end-time church. One, he sends them a letter. Now, that's to you. The letter is to you and I, not just to those people who lived in that day but he sends a letter. Remember, it's prophetic. Two, Jesus called to the end time church. He sends out good counsel for you before he comes again or before you would meet him. Uh, Notice three, Jesus sends out an offer and that is an offer that you would have fellowship and also we're going to look prophetically how it talks about you having fellowship in his kingdom. And for Jesus' call to the end time church, he sends out a sound check. For example, Jesus sends a letter, These things saith the Amen, he writes, when he writes in the letter, in verse 14. In verse 18, he says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold, tried in the fire good counsel. Thirdly, in verse 20, Jesus' offer is, he says, Behold, I stand at the door knock. If any man hear my voice and will open the door, I will come in with him and sup with him and he with me. So that's the, third off, that's the offer, the third one in verse 20. And Jesus sends out a sound check, and that is in verse 22. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. That you would hear and understand what he's telling you. The time you're living in, the things that's happening all around you, that God has warned you and told you and supplied all you need that you might be saved and be in his kingdom fellowship. So let's look at these this evening. Jesus' call to the end time, church. Revelation chapter 1, verse 11 is very important. Let's read from verse 10. John says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Verse 11. Revelation 1.11. Saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, notice, write in a book. And send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. Now he lists the seven churches. Unto Ephesus. And unto Smyrna. And unto Pergamos. And unto Thyatira. And unto Sardis. And unto Philadelphia. And unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, with a garment down to the foot, and gird about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like fine brass as if they burned in a furnace and his voice as the sound of many waters and he, he had in his right hand notice seven stars and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was as the sun that shineth in its strength. And when I saw him I fell at his feet as dead and he laid his right hand upon me saying unto me fear not I am the first and the last I am he that liveth and was dead and behold I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write these things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Very, very important. Notice what he says. Write the things which you've seen, the things which are now, and that which will be from here, this time in John's time, from hereafter. The book of Revelation starts to unfold day by day. here after. And then in verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. Notice the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. It really means the leaders or the pastors of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Now the Lord Jesus, the risen, glorified, the ascended Christ is seen in this vision that he gives John, walking among these seven golden candlesticks, it's her white like wool, white garments on and a golden girdle, showing of his deity, his high priestly ministry, showing all the glories of Christ. And he's walking through these seven golden candlesticks, which are the seven churches. So notice that. So Jesus, from the day of Pentecost, in the person of the Spirit, comes and he is in the midst of the church. Listen, the Holy Ghost never left the church. People put the Holy Ghost out of the church. He's in the midst of the churches, walking. And it means not only from the literal churches, but from age to age to this moment. He's in the midst of the churches. Now, notice, let me just run through these, because I'm going to show you, these seven churches from Revelation chapter 2, Luke verse 1, unto the angel of the church at Ephesus right, And he starts to tell the church at Ephesus what he thinks of them. Now the church of Ephesus, uh, they were a, a church that it is believed they were probably like a second, third generation church by this time. For what we had was those who were saved around the death of our Lord Jesus, his ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then you had the maybe parents or grandparents and now it's went down to children or grandchildren and their, their love for Christ wasn't the same as the way it was. Still happens today, doesn't it? And this the Lord Jesus says, I nevertheless I have somewhat against thee because I has left thy first love. Jesus said to the church at Ephesus, you have stopped loving me the way you used to. So, Lord, speaking to someone tonight and saying, you've stopped loving me the way you used to. You're not as close to me as you used to be. You don't fellowship with me and love me in your heart the way you used to. That's the idea of it. So, the seven churches will all have something told of them of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the church at Ephesus, it is believed that it is maybe, say, second generation at least from about, and these are just ballpark figures, by the way. It just doesn't stop start. From about AD 56 until the writing of this, around AD 96, is what is known as the Ephesus era of the church. That is not just the church of Ephesus or in Ephesus, but the church completely. You understand? I hope you are getting me here. The church age is around 50, AD 56 to uh, 96. Ephesus has a few different meanings. It means permitted. It means desirable. And it means then relax, to relax from effort. They left their first love. Their name give away their condition. And so then when we also look then at the next church was in chapter 2 and verse 8. We haven't time to read all of this. You can read it when you go home. And unto the church, angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last which was dead and is alive. I know thy works in tribulation and poverty but thou art rich. In other words, you're getting it tough, but you're really rich. Now the last church he's saying, you're rich, but you're really poor. Strange, isn't it? The idea is you're spiritually rich. You know me, he says. Notice what he says. But thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews. And are not, but are of this are are the synagogue of Satan. So there are these people who were claiming to be Jews or Judahite, and they were not. They were off the synagogue of Satan. They weren't even true Judaites, trying to claim the things of God, trying to hold back those who believed in Christ, trying to bring them back into uh, Judaism. Now I notice, notice the time is A.D. 100 or 96 100 to around 313 AD so there's the next Ephesus and then it is Smyrna Smyrna means anointing oil it's where you get the name Smyrna or myrrh from remember we always think of at Christmas time of the three well it's not three well there's they we think it's three but it wasn't three the wise men let's put it like that they bring Jesus gold frankincense and this is the oil of anointing, uh, was also for his burial. Now notice this. This is what it means, myrrh. And the, the church from 100, around 100 AD to 313 were a persecuted church. So persecuted, yet they continued to dig deep and move further into God. Rich and had nothing, but they, say, but they were rich in spirit toward God. So you see the church era as the time the years go on. They were under the the Roman persecution of the like of Nero. Nero used to take the Christians and put them in the stakes and cover them with tar. And he used to have them lined around his palace and set fire to the Christians at night to keep his palace lit. Feed them to the lions. Used to put them into the Colosseums. They were slaughtered. Millions of them, thousands and thousands of them. They were persecuted, yet they still held on to Christ. And that was that era. That is the mirrored church of the anointing oil. That's the oil that was of Jesus' anointing for his death. So see the resemblance now in the church age. See, everything in the Bible, why do I teach this? Because if this is all true, or since this is all true, and this is proving the Bible to be true, and then what it's showing you is that God telling you that you must be saved and get ready. That's right. It's as so simple as that, that God knows everything, the beginning to the end. Jesus said, I'm the first and the last in one of our readings. So the third church is the church of Pergamos. And Pergamos uh, is found in verse 12, chapter 2, verse 12. To the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath a sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. Now, in Pergamos, um, we had the altar of Zeus. Zeus was the the chief uh, Greek god. And it's really, Zeus is really a a Greek name for a Babylonian god of Nimrod. Nimrod builds the tower to heaven. God comes down, scatters the people, pulls the tower. Really, that's what the European Union is doing, by the way trying to bring together and build that tower of man. And God came and scattered it, remember, confused it. Now Nimrod, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord, the book of Genesis tells us, but that doesn't mean to say God thought, well, look how well Nimrod's able to provide for his family. It really means that Nimrod was a persecutor of men, a tyrant in the face of God. And this man died, and we're told that uh, his wife, Semiramis. Um, she, she was worshipped as the moon. She says, "Worship Nimrod as the sun in the sky. Look, he's become deified now. He's risen and he's in the sky. They started worshipping the sun. Babylonian mystery worship started worshipping the sun. And whenever you see sunbursts in different, even in Catholic cathedrals, it's taken, you want to show you that, from the sunburst of Nimrod. You see the, the, the things around their heads and all the glowing. That's all taken from the sunburst of Nimrod. When you look and you see the mass and, and the priest holds up the wafer, the wafer disc. And he prays over it and he does uh, the hocus pocus over it. Changes into literal body, blood, sinews and divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the sun disc. And it's put in a monstrous which is, looks like a big sunburst. It's all to do with Babylonian mystery religion. Now I notice, Nimrod's worshipped as his son. Samaramas, his wife, has a child called Tammuz. Tammuz is worshipped then as the son of Nimrod or Nimrod and manifest again in flesh. Sounding, it's like an unholy trinity, isn't it? Tammuz, how do we worship him? Put coals of fire on the ground. Here we have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Walked through the very coals of fire to worship Tammuz, Babylonian mystery religion. So now that we're that far, listen to this. Pergamos means married to power. Now the persecution that was in the, the, the Christian church, the persecution that all of those Christians were being slaughtered under the likes of Nero and right up to the right up to the Roman Caesar called Diocletian. And Diocletian is the one actually who, and then Domitian put John on the Isle of Patmos. And they they were the Caesars that came right up through. They became known as God on earth. Now, way before Nimrod's day, in Babylonian mysteries, whenever you read of the, Uh, the Medo-Persians in the book of Daniel. Remember last week we looked at the head of gold and the chest and arms of silver, the Medes and the Persian, the two arms. They come in and they take over Babylon. And when they take over, the soothsayers and the wizards all flew with the mystery religions of Babylon from Babylon to a little place called Pergamos. Started teaching it there. It was taken on there. And because of that, of course you have the like of Zeus, the altar of Zeus. That's just another name change for what was happening in Babylon. Now, there was a man in Pergamos called King Attalus Third. And King Attalus Third, he received all of these bequeathed titles from Babylon. And that was known as where Satan's seat is. That's why the Lord says, I know where Satan's seat is. And then, when he was dying, he had no one to leave it to, he bequeathed it to the Roman Caesars, and one of his main titles was this: Pontifex Maximus, the bridge builder, the joiner from heaven to earth between God and man. You know what the Scriptures tells us? For there is one mediator between God and man, the man who Christ Jesus. So you see how it comes in. The church that was in Rome, the church around the area and locally, the church in Pergamos, all of the church through time started joining with the pagans that were in Rome and with Christianity. And when you go into the book of Revelation, you'll read of the beast and he has a deadly wound. People think that's to come. Listen, that was the Roman Caesars. They died off. And this says he revives, another head comes up. That's the Roman papal system. They came out in history. I better hurry up because I'm only halfway down the first page and <laughs> I'm six of them. I'm getting carried away with this. So this is all in the history of the church. So Pergamos means married to power. A tolerance of evil is the theme when Christ is writing his letter. And that's from 313 roughly to 606 A.D., Roundabout, about. These are all ballpark figures. Then in chapter 2 and verse 18, the Lord Jesus writes and says, And unto the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God. Who's speaking? The Son of God. Isn't that beautiful? Who hath his eyes like to a flame of fire, and his feet is fine brass. If you're in any doubt who it is in Revelation chapter 1, he tells you who it is here in chapter 2 and verse 18. I'm Jesus, the Son of God. Now, I notice this. The next church, Thyatira, means ruled by a woman. And Jezebel is mentioned in it. Now, the Jezebel is, was married to Ahab, and you read about Ahab and Jezebel in the second book of Kings. And she was a Zidonian. Well, I call her Zidonian witch, but really that's what she was a worshipper from Zidon. And she was not only a Zidonian worshipper or witch, but she taught Ahab and the northern kingdom of the house of Israel to worship other idols and pull them away from Jehovah, Yahweh God. And you'll read about that in the Bible. Now, that spirit came into the church and she was a controlling spirit. She was the one who was, listen, she was a feminist spirit. Right. Hello? She was a feminist spirit. And because of that, she ruled Ahab, and he was one of the most wicked kings in the northern kingdom of Israel, ruling from Samaria. And now, writing again, the Lord says, I know Jezebel's among you. This speaks from 606 to about 1517, pardon me, 606 to 1517. This speaks of Jezebel and the church. It's called the harlot church in the book of Revelation as you read on and that is the church of Rome. Now, 1517, what changed? The next church age starts to develop. Martin Luther took his 95 theses and he went to the Wittenberg Cathedral door kneeling them saying, crying, the just shall live by faith. Is everyone with me okay? And so we have the Thyatira church. Then, if you go to chapter 3 and verse 1, we have the next church age, which is the Sardis church. And unto the angel of the church of Sardis, write these things, saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, but that thou livest and are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. The word Sardis here, 1517, when Martin Luther stood forward to cry, the just shall live by fear. The word Sardis means two things. It means a precious stone, and it also means, you ready? Red ones. Red ones. Then came the Spanish Inquisition. The blood of the martyrs the red ones. Then came those who held fast to the truths of the Word of God. Now, brothers and sisters, I don't mean to cause offense here, but listen. I'm a I'm a Unionist. I'm a patriot. I am loyal to my queen and my country. I don't have any problems in saying that. But let me say this. Do you see when men are running around with hateful hearts claiming to be loyalists and Protestant and they don't even know who Christ is, that is not the right spirit. That's wrong. These men and women, yes, and many women died for the faith. They realized that they were saved by grace. They realized that their faith in Christ, his precious shed blood, the full atonement for their sin, they accepted it, and yes, they stood firm for it. And they weren't watery, they weren't banana spined, or or they didn't have a backbone like a wet noodle. They took their stand. They were stern, but they loved the Lord. And they were persecuted. Notice this. They were red ones. Either they were covered in the blood and they were a precious stone unto God or else their blood was shed, which was the seedbed of the Reformed church. The Lord says to the church of Sardis, he says, there are a few among you. Notice verse four. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defined their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. There's a few, he said. You know what he's saying? The Lord, the Spirit started to call men, call women out of the church of Rome. Start started to call him out. He says, there's a few of you now. You're going to walk with me worthy and white. What's the white? You're trusting in me at Calvary to pay for the debt of your sins completely. One time, once for all sacrifice and never be repeated again, whether it's on a Jewish altar or a Romish altar or any other altar. And he says, when I receive, take your sin and bear it away, I give you my righteousness, the righteousness, the white garments of Christ. Brothers and sisters, you know, you and I are saved by grace. We're clothed with the same garments that they were called out from. And now you and I are going to be walking in white with them. Amen. Isn't it glorious? The Protestant Reformation was the greatest move of the Holy Spirit since the day of Pentecost. Not like Kenneth Copeland says it was a spirit of division and disunity. And then from Sardis around 13, 1739 to around the late 1800s, early 1900s, you had the Philadelphia church, chapter 3 and verse 7. Unto the angel of the church in Philadelphia, they write these things, saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works, behold, I set before thee an open door no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Now you need to take note here. There's a couple of things going on here. God has now drawn the church into a place of missionary endeavor. The Church of Philadelphia is known as the Church of Brotherly Love, around the 1800s, right into near the 1900s. And God looked down through time. This was the prophetic time. He says, "This is where the church will be." We think of the, we think of the Wesley's, and we, we think of Spurgeon, uh, and and men like uh, Poole and. You know, we think of of, uh, General Booth of the Salvation Army. You could go on and on and on and on and on about this. Sending missionaries to every corner of the globe, to Africa, the continent of Asia, South America, all over sending out missionaries. It was called the Church of Brotherly Love. Now notice this in this as well there was persecution of those who said oh are Jews and are not but do lie now listen everybody that claims to be a Jew today don't be fooled because they're not there are many here off a synagogue of sin. we can start putting names out but we won't do it tonight but do you think of the you think of the elite Jewish bankers, the Rothschilds, and the Bilderbergers, and the George Soros, and the Lehmans, and the Goldman Sachs. And there's others as well, right through. And notice this. Jesus says, I will make of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews or not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet. God is going to bring that system down. And we are going to be in his kingdom. They will be, as it were, at our feet. Then we move into our church of the last days, the Laodicean church, from around the late 1800s to the beginning of the 1900s, we had the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And while men and women are going lukewarm, we had the, 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 the revivals that happened in, in Ulster, in Scotland, in Wales. And we could go on over into the United States, the Great Awakenings, the First Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening. Do you know there's even about 150,000 Confederate soldiers in, in the army uh, 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 during the American Civil War were converted all nearly in one go? Do you know that? There's a revival in it. coming right up into George and Stephen Jeffreys. The Pentecostal movement came out of it. And these men loved the Lord. These men and women were on fire for God. They were gospel preaching. They were taking the reformed faith. They were preaching it all across the land. And then they were talking about the kingdom to come that was very little spoken of before. And why? Because they knew they were living in the last of the last days. sea simply means power of the laity. And that's where we are tonight. We're going to look at it. Seven churches, seven church ages. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. The Lord Jesus says, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write these things, saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. By the way, don't you let any Jehovah's Witness tell you if they ever rap your door. See, the beginning of the creation of God. He was created first. This means He is the bringer forth of all creation, He is the beginning of all creation. That's what it means. Don't let them pull that over on you. And notice this. The, the church in the. Here's the church history in short. You ready? The church in Acts chapter 2. The church in the book of Acts, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Christ descends, the Holy Ghost comes down, is formed as we know it. Now there's a church in the wilderness in Israel. Talking about the church, the body of Christ as we know it, is formed. And then as we come through those church ages we spoke about, it becomes deformed in Rome. And then it goes a little further along, and in the Reformation it becomes reformed. And then as we come along into the legacy and age past, the Jeffreys and all, the outpouring of the Spirit, to where we are today, the great healing evangelists and the ministries that were fantastic, to where we are today before the coming of Christ and the legacy and the church age. What is Day Formed, deformed, reformed. Today it's being conformed. Conformed. In other words, the world is telling us how to be church. The ungodly are telling us how to be church. Government is telling us how to be the body of Christ. We are being conformed. Paul says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, you ready? Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. So we are being conformed and now before the coming of Christ, here's the call of Christ to you here tonight, to all that will hear this, to the church at large. You ready? Be ye not conformed, but now be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. It means, conformed means to be changed from the outside in. Outside in. The outside effects are changing the church on the inside. Let me just run you past one or two things. I'm not going to give you a big list of it because of so much there. I might have to do a second night. The, the church today, just this week, the Archbishop of Canterbury, the, let's put it in brackets, shall we? The, the established Protestant church, the Archbishop of Canterbury, he said in a meeting that they are now looking The Anglicans are now looking at referring to God as gender neutral. So that means he's not your father. And that means Jesus is not his son. And that means the son is not your brother nor your kinsman. Being conformed, you see, from the outside and political correctness gone mad. Church in England just this week had a full breaking of bread table with the, the rainbow flag dripping right over it. And they're now starting to have regular what they call communion meetings in this Anglican church for the LGBT only. Being conformed to this world, being conformed. I'm going to look a little further at it if you give me time here. Notice we must be transformed by the renewing of our minds, which is in Christ Jesus. And notice here, as the Lord says in Revelation chapter 3, and let your eye run down to verse 15. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would, would Thou wert cold or hot, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee. Jesus says, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now listen, he was saying that to a literal church. Now I saying it to the last day's church. Let me just get a drink. There are three parabolic or comparable points here to the Western church, the Western Christian church. First of all, the Laodiceans were lukewarm. Secondly, they were prosperous or they were rich. And thirdly, they were religious or in other words, they were Christless. Christless. Notice this. Laodicea, the city of Laodicea, it's set in a place where there was much trade and commerce because of the the way the towns and the road network went. They were very rich in banking. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? They were very rich and wealthy. Banking. Secondly, they were very rich because of textile industry, especially wool. And thirdly, because of the commerce of the spices and the things that would go through the city traveling from one to the other. Very, very rich and prosperous place. So the lukewarm church is in verse 15 and 16. The Lord says, you're neither cold nor hot. And then he says in verse 16, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. So he sends a letter to the church to warn them, to tell them that this church formed is now being deformed, now conformed. Even though the Reformation reformed us, we're now being conformed to this world. And as the scripture here tells us, it is lukewarm before God. Pergamos and Thyatira, Sardis and Philadelphia, ages are over. And you and I, brothers and sisters, are living in this last church, the seventh church. Seven is the number of completion, the number of perfection in the scriptures. God says, this is the seventh age. This is the complete age. I'm coming. I'm coming. Notice, he says, so that because thou art lukewarm in either cold or hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now, Laodicea isn't just mentioned here in Revelation 3. It is also mentioned We'll not look at it, but I'll I'll mention them to you. You can read them when you go home. It's mentioned in the book of Colossians. And the city of Colossae, where the Colossian church was, was only about 10 miles away from Laodicea. And Paul mentions it, notice, in Colossians 2 and verse 1. He mentions it in Colossians 4 and verse 13. He mentions it in Colossians 4 and verse 15. And he mentions it in Colossians chapter 4. On verse 16. Let me read verse 16 out to you. Now Colossian letter. You ready? The Colossian letter was written. 30 years before. The letter was written in the book of Revelation. So 30 years earlier. This is what Paul writes. Colossians 4 and verse 16. He says and when this epistle. That is the Colossian epistle. Is read among you. Because that it be read also, notice, in the church of the Laodiceans. And that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So there's really meant to be, as we can see, two epistles or letters that were written. One that was going to be read in Colossae. And one that was going, that was going to be taken and read in Laodicea. But there seems from the, the terms of the writing here, there was another letter that was being read in Laodicea and taken to Colossae, a different one. But we've lost it. We don't know where it is. We haven't found it. So the, so the Lord has had Paul say in verse 17, Colossians 4 and 17, Notice, and say this to our Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord that thou fulfill it. Now, why would I need to read that out? You ready? This was warning 30 years before. 30 years before God warned him. And you tell our as he says, take heed to the ministry. This man, it seems to be many commentators think that he was waning in his duties. He was allowing things to creep into the church. He wasn't being forthright in the word of God. He wasn't taking a stand, in other words. He was conforming to the things that were happening around the area of Colossae. And he was allowing evil to creep in and lukewarmness to come. Paul says, you tell him to watch. 30 years later, the risen, ascended, glorified Christ writes a letter and he says, see you, you're lukewarm. Archippus, he is believed to be what was known as the first bishopric in uh, Laodicea. And because he became cold, because he became indifferent, because he became someone that would allow the world to move him and the laity, the people to say, look, no, the church of the laity is what laity it means, and it means that the people were saying, pat me on the back, tickle my ears, scratch me, soft things shall you preach to us, preacher, because if you don't, well, we're going to just up and leave. We won't listen to the, the bare word of God. Archippus, it seems that he wouldn't be forthright in his preaching. Now I'm asking you, How many places are like that today? It's the Luke warm church. Or Chippus and his spirit is everywhere. It's everywhere. I had written when I had looked at this. Where is the voice of the church. Come on, brothers and sisters, I'm going to push this out there. No, I'm not trying to pick anybody's church or anybody in a church. I'm just saying it. And if it, you know, someone's once said that you throw a stone into a pack of dogs, you know which one you hit because that's the one that's yelping. So I'm going to throw a stone, not into you, but into the ether and see who yelps. I don't want to make anybody yelp, but this is just the truth. See, when all of this was going on about the the whole gay marriage situation, see, when this was going on about the whole LGBT and the whole thing that was going on about um, the Brexit debates and all of this sort of stuff, how many churches have stood up? Come on, how many churches? Where's the voice of the church? How many Church of Ireland or Presbyterian or Baptists? Let's be honest. How many? How many Pentecostals in the church? None. I'm not saying there aren't any ever, but I haven't heard of any. The church has lost its voice and the church is meant to be the conscience of the nation. The church is the conscience of the United Kingdom. Or a chippus. Take heed and do diligence to the ministry God has given you. And they're saying, you know what? Let's put the flag on the table. And, and, and let's just keep our mouths shut. Do you see when the whole thing of Islam and all that sort of stuff was going on and radical Islam? And even with Pastor McCollum, I was there dead court with him. Who spoke up? Shame on them. Shame on them. Now, where's the voice of the church in the land today? The would rather say, I want to teach you 10 ways to have a blessed day. Have a blessed day. Let me tell you something. Do you see if Theresa May has her way and, and European Union have their way, you'll have no blessed days. You'll be crying for the coming of the Lord, but maybe that's what it's going to take to make the church wise up and wake up. Do you know last week, while we're on live, we've just to go through the phone here. It's not a great sound quality. We are looking into it. We're going to get more cameras and stuff like that. But anyhow, someone took the live feed and they must not like my singing. They cut the singing off. <laughs> but, they, but they kept the preaching anyway. That was the main thing. And they showed it to a website to do with climate control. But a lot of people come on the website and most of them came on or from the Republic of Ireland. Now I thought after what I preached last week, I could be in trouble. Do you know? I even had a guy with his... Uh, his, um, what do you call his picture on Facebook with an Easter lily and with a a set of Barry and the glasses and all, like the Provo, (laughs) contacting me. And he says, you know what? Because I mentioned Irish nationalism and Ulster Unionism. He says, you know what? Even though he didn't agree with who I am, he says, I want to thank you for speaking up. I've never had that in my life before. (laughs) I've never had a leg in my wife before. and had them from Limerick, from over Dublin, and from Galway, and from Cork, contacted me last Sunday, or last Sunday night and Monday morning. And from other, all, all other places. You see, the church has lost its voice and become conformed to the world and Jesus says we need to be transformed. Stay with me. I know we're going long, but we're sure another 10 minutes will be all right, won't it? We're still, we're still breathing. <laughs> Notice this. The Lord Jesus, 30 years later, says, I will spew thee out of my mouth. This is the way it reads. It reads, I'm about to spew you. I am ready. I have it in my mind to vomit you out. Hmm. And you see all the things that are happening. Now notice, if you read the book of Colossians, you'll find that in the theme of Colossians is this, it preaches against false teachers and Gnostics who believed that there was no creator God. In the Colossian letter, that Christ is creator, he is redeemer. And in Colossians 2 and 9 tells us, For in him the Lord Jesus dwelleth all fullness of the Godhead bodily. It tells us that he is the head of the church. Not the Pope in Rome. Nor the Queen on the throne. Christ is the head of the church. Jesus called to the end time church, he wrote a letter. Here's the good counsel, moving quickly. Verse 18. Let's read verse 17, pardon me. Because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and of deed of nothing, no, know, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold-tread in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. And that the shame of thy nakedness do appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. Here is the counsel of the Lord to the end time church. He says buy gold of me. You're prosperous in your banking systems. Do you know that the Lord told Israel in the Old Testament. That you're not meant to borrow and then put on usury. Interest. Do you know because of the whole banking system that we're under now and the whole gold, or the whole standard pardon me of the banking system that we're under now, do you know every one of you are a slave? You'll never be able to pay your debt. You're a slave. Jesus said to the church that was rich and prosperous, I'm counseling you to buy of me. No matter what happens, he says, buy of me. Gold tried in the fire. Gold tried in the fire was a pure gold. They would have had gold with impurities in it. They had to heat it through the furnace. The dross came up, scraped off the dross, reheated it, became pure. And he said, look, you come and let your faith be purified in me. Let your faith in me be purified. And then he says, you'll be rich. Well, I want tell you, brothers and sisters, now the Lord has blessed me and the Lord has given to me but I can tell you something I'm, if I get a chance i maybe wrap this up and do a second night but if I get a chance I'm going to tell you the Lord has blessed me from having nothing to everything I need and maybe more but I can tell you something I don't care what I have and I mean it I don't care what size of a house I would live in I don't care or what size of a bank account I would be given. I am rich when I have Christ in my life. Now if you really want to know the riches of life, come to saving faith in Christ. I'm gonna wrap this up and maybe do a second eight because you know what? I'm only on page three and of six. And I cut this short too. Because I sayest I am rich and increased with goods. You see what they said was Jesus is no longer needed. Here is self praise and self acquired riches. It alludes to the house of Israel in Hosea 12 and 8. Listen to what they said. And Ephraim said that's a name for the northern kingdom of Israel. Yet I am become rich and have found me out substance. In all my labors, they shall find none iniquity in me that were sin. Let me tell you what they were saying. They had reached the height of prosperity and thrown out God. And God judged them for it. He warned them. They wouldn't listen. God judged them. When I think of Brexit, I'm sorry, it just consumes me. (laughs) It just, it eats me up. I don't mean this to be harmful or hurtful, but I'm just going to say it. When I think of hearing people talk about it, it's all, and I know we need the finances, I know all of it, I know that. But listen, I'd rather be a free man in Christ with nothing living in a a, a nation on its own, finding its destiny again in God and in the Word, and strapped to a beast to ride that beast into hell. Notice, here is what the man in Luke chapter 12 says, when I get this point done, I'm going to, that's it finished. I don't know how long this point will be, but I'm going to get it done. I'm looking at it here. I'll finish round about here and we'll start again. In Luke chapter 12, the Lord Jesus tells a parable of a man who looks at his goods and he hasn't anywhere to to build them, or to put them, to store them. So he build, pulls down his barns and builds bigger. And the man pulls down his barns, builds bigger. God has blessed him with all of this stuff. And he steps back. And this is what Jesus says that he says. Luke 12 and verse 19. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink and be merry. Verse 20. But God said unto him, Notice, but God said, Thy fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? Verse 21. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The word fooler is the word throne. You ready? This is what it means. Someone without reason, who is senseless, someone who is without reflection. It gives the idea of someone who acts rashly. They are ignorant, mindless, and egotistical. And Jesus said that. Jesus said, For those who pull down their barns and build bigger and have no thought of God, thy fool, you egotistical, ignorant fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. You know what he's saying? You can't take it with you. You cannot take it with you. Do you see when we're all led into the ground, that six-foot hole is going to be the same for every single one of us, no matter how rich you are. But it's where you are after that, in the presence of God, or judged by God to the lake of fire. So the church here of Laodicea says, we're rich and increase with goods and of need of nothing, not even you, God. In fact, in AD 62, in AD 62, there was an earthquake that wrecked their whole church. And they didn't need any money. They were so rich, they just built it up and said, we need nobody. And God mm-hmm. looked and said, you see, you're saying you're rich. Do you know what not I think of? See this prosperity gospel and the N-A-R the new apostolic reformation listen I want to tell you something one it's not a reformation to God and I'll tell you another thing it's hardly apostolic half of them wouldn't know God when they stand before him in Matthew 19 Jesus is approached by a man (laughs) And this is what he says. Good master, what good thing must I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus gives him some of the commandments. And he says, all these things have I kept from my youth up. Now he's just broken a commandment because he's lied. He hasn't kept them at all. He's tried, but he's lied. What lack I yet?" Jesus says, Sell all that you have. He was a rich man. Give it to the poor. Come, take up your cross and follow me. And says he went away sad because he had much goods. He went away sad. So his disciple says, he sees this rich young man walk away. Who then can be saved? You see, in, in Jewish life, they believed that if you were rich, you were blessed of God. That's where the prosperity gospel comes from. Oh, you must be blessed of God because you're rich. I have known the poorest of people with hardly anything in them or on them and they've been full of Christ. And they're looking at this young man and they're saying, "If if he can't get into heaven, look at the riches he has, how blessed he is of God. What hope is there for us, poor fishermen? Jesus says, with man this isn't possible. But with God, all things are possible. In other words, it's not your riches. Laodicean church says, we are rich. Big churches around the world, Listen, I'm not against big churches. But listen, it's all about finance. It's become an enterprise. It's all about money. It's all about wealth. It's about jet airplanes and fancy hotels. Some of them are standing like, thousands of pounds worth a night in a room, a hotel room, while they're preaching the gospel. God forgive them! One of them, I'll not mention his name, he's worth 150 million pounds. And he's still asking for money to feed the poor. How about you go lift 100 million? You'd still have more than enough to do all your life and go and give it to the mission field. Thou sayest, I am rich, and increase with goods, and I have need of nothing. Listen to the words of the master. And knowest thou not that thou art wretched? Wow. What happened to the gentle Jesus, making mild Jesus says, you're wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. Counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. You need to get into the faith. You need to have real faith, he says. Tried faith. And he says that you have to have a garment, clothe yourself. So there's the riches, the banking system of Laodicea. Banking system of the Latter-day Church in the world age we're living in. And then there is the garments clothed in white. There is not just the righteousness of Christ, but there are the textiles that they were used. Jesus was using these figures. Here's your tax I tell you what, if you really want to be covered from your sin, he says, you need my righteousness on you. And I saw that you might see Holy Ghost. You need vision from God. You need vision of the Holy Ghost. And listen, that's what the church in the last day needs. The the Lord Jesus is outside the door going, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. In Revelation 1, he's walking among the golden candlesticks. And now in Revelation 3, at the end of it, he's saying, Will you let me in? Will you let me in? And many churches have put out the power of the Holy Ghost. They have the form of everything, but they deny the power thereof. See, that's the letter of Jesus to the church we live in. I'll maybe do part two. You can look out for it. If not, the Lord will lead me to do something else, but there's so much more that I would love to show you about this last time, church. God bless you as well. Thank you for your attention. It's been long. I do appreciate it. The Lord bless you.